Welcome to the Holistic Anxiety Fix Podcast, where we explore the many different root causes of anxiety so you can learn how to heal naturally and reclaim your love for life. Hello, and welcome to this podcast episode where we explore the concept of adrenal fatigue. In this podcast episode, we will talk about what it is, whether it's something you should consider for yourself, and impacts of poor adrenal health on your anxiety. So if you're confused about adrenal fatigue and what to do about it, then this is the podcast episode for you. Adrenal fatigue is quite a common word these days. Maybe you've heard of it. The first time I heard of it was from my naturopath many years ago. In fact, pretty much all five naturopaths that I saw chalked up my anxiety to some sort of an adrenal problem. But what is adrenal fatigue exactly? If you Google adrenal fatigue, WebMD says the term adrenal fatigue was coined in 1998 by James Wilson, who is a PhD, a naturopath, and an expert in alternative medicine. He described adrenal fatigue as a group of related signs and symptoms, like a syndrome, that results when the adrenal glands function below the necessary level. He says it's usually associated with intense stress and often follows chronic infections like bronchitis, the flu, or pneumonia. James Wilson says that people with it may not have physical signs of illness, but may feel tired, gray, or have fatigue that doesn't get better with sleep. They also crave salty snacks. So essentially, the adrenal fatigue theory is suggesting that prolonged exposure to various different types of stress can drain and exhaust the adrenals, leading to a low cortisol state and an inability to produce energy and very poor health of adrenals. Now, so many women chalk up their issue to an adrenal issue. And often the women I talk to think that once they fix their adrenals, all of their anxiety problems will be solved. In fact, that's the main conversation that I have with women in my anxiety breakthrough call, which is a complimentary call that I do with women who are interested in healing at a deeper level, is I field questions about cortisol and whether they should be testing adrenals. And one of the most common supplements I see women in my Facebook group called Healing Anxiety Holistically for Women, shameless plug, if you haven't joined, you can find us on Facebook and join, is ashwagandha. And this is adrenal support supplement, as well as supplements like cortisol manager. But the question is, is adrenal fatigue really the source of the problem, or is there something else going on? And that is exactly what we're going to explore today. But let's take a few steps back for a second and review what the adrenals actually are. So the adrenal glands are located on top of each kidney. So there's two of them and they're about the size of a walnut. And their job is to produce different hormones in response to signals from your pituitary gland. So they produce aldosterone, the very famous stress hormone called cortisol, and other important hormone called DHEA that actually has the opposing effect of cortisol. You might be surprised to learn, however, that the adrenals are not really what we want to focus on when it comes to quote-unquote adrenal fatigue. In fact, many holistic practitioners 
myself included, are moving away from the term adrenal fatigue because there is really so much more going on than simply the adrenals being tired. We actually need to take a step back and focus on the entire HPA axis. Big mouthful. HPA axis stands for hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis or our stress response system. So when we take this step back, what we're recognizing in doing that is that there is a system and that our organs don't work in isolation. The HPA axis is a neuroendocrine system in the body that consists of the adrenal glands, pituitary glands, and the hypothalamus. Now, these three glands communicate with one another about how the body responds to internal and external sources of stress. So let me walk you through what happens when we're exposed to stress. The sympathetic nervous system signals the adrenal glands through nerve impulses, and immediately this causes the release of epinephrine and norepinephrine. So these hormones are going to trigger the ever-famous fight-or-flight response. We typically experience moments after the stressful event begins. So it's very automated, very fast response of epinephrine and norepinephrine. So all the things you've learned about fight or flight. So, you know, if you run from a bear, the classic response would be heart rate increases, increase in blood flow, increase in blood pressure, imbalances in blood sugar, alertness, all of these things change. And these physiological changes are what allows the body to better respond to stress. So think about it. If we're running from a bear, we're going to need all of those systems to be in high gear. That's how your body is evolutionarily built. And so these responses are going to allow you to either fight the threat or run away from the threat. So at the same time this is happening, the hypothalamus activates the second component of our stress system in the HPA axis. So let me walk you through the domino effect that occurs in the second component of your stress response. Step one, the hypothalamus signals the pituitary gland to release a chemical molecule called CRH into the bloodstream. Step two, this tells the pituitary to make ACTH. So step three, the adrenal glands can then release cortisol. Once the adrenals receive this message, it then begins to synthesize cortisol. So this is essentially what will happen in a typical response to stress. Here's the thing though. In 2023, things aren't typical. Stress is ongoing, not in the form of the bear, but from toxins, metals, poor water quality, high stress jobs, molds, the news, conflict with families, social isolation, pandemics like COVID, lack of community support, and the list goes on. The problem is the body, your body, wasn't designed to handle continual exposure to sources of stress that constantly activate the HPA axis. And the thing is, your body will always prioritize its immediate need for survival over long-term health and wellness. And this is actually how we end up with symptoms because your body is prioritizing your survival. And by doing this, long-term health of your organs and systems are ultimately going to be impacted. So instead of adrenal fatigue, what is really going on is HPA axis dysfunction, which is a condition that occurs when stress responses cause change in the 
hormone availability and production that is generated by the adrenals. So what that means in simple terms is that your cortisol production could be too high or too low. This function in the HPA axis can also mean that cortisol production across the day or your cortisol pattern can be impacted. But it's also important to remember that the response goes beyond cortisol. Other hormones produced by the adrenal glands, like I mentioned, DHEA, can also become too high or too low. Melatonin, which is an important hormone in sleep, can also be suppressed by excessive cortisol levels at night. So what this means is that the HPA access function involves so much more than just the adrenal glands ability to make cortisol, which is why, drumroll please, the term adrenal fatigue isn't exactly accurate. In most cases, cortisol output availability are actually being driven by the brain. The mechanisms that control the levels of cortisol in the body actually are not a part of the adrenal glands, but reside outside of them, primarily in the brain. As a result, low levels of cortisol, for example, are typically due to a feedback mechanism, so down regulation. So what's important to realize is that essentially a feedback loop is happening. And typically, for example, low levels of cortisol are due to a down regulation. So something the body is doing on purpose in order to protect its tissues from chronically high levels of cortisol because there's chronically high levels of stress. So many practitioners are now starting to realize that HPA axis function or dysfunction is related to how the brain and adrenals communicate with one another and how the body is responding to hormone production and availability due to the level of stress. So essentially your body is fighting for you. Your body is working to protect you and your body is adapting to stress in the best way that it knows how. And these adaptations can have negative consequences if the source of stress is never identified or resolved. So hopefully now you have a broader view of what is happening in your system in response to stress. Now what we wanna do is look at how we can measure it. One of my favorite ways of doing this is through the Dutch hormone test. The Dutch hormone test stands for Drug Urine Test for Comprehensive Hormones and is one of the most accurate reflections of what is happening with your adrenals and whether they are fatigued And as the name suggests, which we're not going to get into in this podcast, it will also look at sex hormones like progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. We look at the function of the HPA axis by measuring cortisol. Now, you might be listening to me thinking, why would I pay for that when I can get my doctor to run the blood work? But stay with me here because I'm going to map out exactly why blood work isn't really going to tell you much about what is going on with your adrenal health unless you have a serious, serious problem. Because remember, the medical system is only set up to catch disease, and a lot happens between health and disease that the medical system is not equipped to identify or address. So the first thing you need to realize when we look at cortisol is that it actually changes across the day. So what a lot of people don't realize is that cortisol levels are actually highest in the morning and they decrease as the day goes on. I hear this a lot, women waking up super anxious in the morning. 
So what is likely happening here is that the body is producing too much cortisol so that come morning, you're feeling like you're over the top anxious because the cortisol is already the highest across the day in the morning. So an impact of increased cortisol is going to be really strongly felt in the morning. There is a rhythm to cortisol production, and it's so important that you measure the rhythm. This is why taking measurements across the day is key. This is why there's so much inaccuracy with readings and blood work by your doctor, because it only measures one point in the morning. We miss the wake-up spike because you're not measuring it the minute you get out of bed, and it only looks at total cortisol, so we really can't see what the rhythm is. And different levels across the day can tell you different things. For example, low morning cortisol is generally related to chronic stress, chronic inflammation, chronic pain, and lack of light exposure in the morning, while high afternoon cortisol is associated with low blood sugar. So for example, if someone skipped lunch or ate a brunch of carbohydrates like white pasta, pizza, a sandwich with white bread, they could have a blood sugar crash in the afternoon. Cortisol will be then released to normalize blood sugar levels. Food sensitivities can also be linked with high afternoon cortisol if you are eating foods that your immune system is reacting to, for example, gluten, dairy, and eggs for lunch, then the resulting immune response and inflammation can actually trigger the release of cortisol. Remember, cortisol is triggered by internal and external stress. So diet can be a major source of stress to your system. Caffeine is another cause of increased cortisol levels. So if you're drinking coffee or an energy drink in mid-afternoon as a pick-me-up, your cortisol levels are going to naturally be higher. And stress. So a lot of times there's a lot of emotional stress in the afternoons, um, difficult day at work, long commute home, hectic schedule with the kids, and so on and so forth. If you are struggling with anxiety and tired of going in circles, then I have something special for you. I have created a game-changing gift for everyone that is listening. This gift is specifically designed for women who are done living with their anxiety. Whether they are tired of the intrusive thoughts, the sleepless nights, gut issues, the overwhelm, or being unable to do the things they used to love. This gift is specifically designed for women who want immediate action steps. So what I have for you is a guide. It is five surprising ways to reduce anxiety in just seven days. This guide is really great because it gives you some actionable steps. It is not telling you about your anxiety or suggesting a random things that you're never going to do but they are really actionable steps that are going to have an immediate effect on lowering your anxiety. You can find the guide at go.healingjourneyservices.com slash five ways dash one. The list of you know, reasons that can cause high afternoon cortisol goes on medication, pain and inflammation, um, working out and the body can't handle it. So there's lots of clues in your cortisol rhythm as to areas that we would need to look into to heal. 
High nighttime cortisol can mean a lot of the things we talked about, but in addition, it can also mean pathogens like parasites because parasites are much more active at night. So let's look at general symptoms associated with low overall cortisol. So this is where, you know, we're looking at both your metabolized and total cortisol, and we're seeing not the pattern, but we're seeing those total numbers are low in general. So we're seeing low cortisol production. So symptoms of this can be fatigue, low energy, a really difficult time getting through the day without caffeine or some sort of stimulant, uh, pain and inflammation, inability to handle stress, low blood sugar, low blood pressure, dizziness and lightheadedness, sleep issues, difficulty recovering from exercise, anxiety, depression, poor memory, brain fog, low immunity, allergies, low libido, and salt craving. When both of these markers are low, it means that your adrenal glands are not producing very much cortisol at all. And that means that there's not a lot of cortisol available to tissues in your body. So possible reasons for decreased cortisol levels can be chronic stress, chronic infections like Lyme or gut infections, viruses, Epstein-Barr, chronic pain and inflammation, a low-fat or low-carb diet or difficulty absorbing fat, cortisol-suppressing medications, head trauma, infection, or injury, and Addison's disease. Cortisol-suppressing medications. So I want to spend a couple of minutes here because now I speak to a lot of women who actually experience significant anxiety after taking cortisol-suppressing medications like corticosteroids. And so these can be medications commonly known as prednisone, hydrocortisone, or allergy and asthma steroid inhalers and nasal sprays. So the Dutch test is going to measure cortisol produced by the body and not by synthetic corticosteroids. And so as a result, it's actually common to see low cortisol levels on these tests because you've been using corticosteroid medications regularly. In fact, in some people, levels can get so low that you can be concerned about the possibility of Addison's disease, which is a disease involving chronically low levels of cortisol. Even if you took the medication several months prior to the testing, we can still see this impacting results. According to one paper, adrenal insufficiency actually occurs in, get this, 40% of patients who took corticosteroids on a long-term basis, even after they stopped using medication. So steroid creams were the least suppressive, but frequent use of creams, whether it's applied daily or several times a week or for a month straight, can also create issues. So really important information to keep in mind when you're trying to understand what is going on post-medication. So now we're going to talk about the symptoms of high cortisol. This can be feeling tired and wired, um, especially in the evening, difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep, weight gain, anxiety, surprise, surprise, depression, poor memory and decreased concentration, high blood sugar, insulin resistance, high blood pressure, racing heart and heart palpitations. I know a very common one with women in my groups, um, poor immunity, poor skin healing, digestive issues, poor thyroid function, muscle weakness and wasting, decreased bone density, 
And so you can see here that there are a lot of symptoms associated with cortisol. Possible reasons for high cortisol, very similar to possible reasons for low cortisol. Stress, infections, pain and inflammation, obesity, alcohol and drug use, depression, and Cushing's disease. Now, I want to expand on a couple of those things. So pain and inflammation. What's interesting here is when the body's experiencing pain, it actually will release more cortisol. So think of cortisol like your inflammation off switch. So cortisol is actually anti-inflammatory. So if you have inflammation in your body, it follows that cortisol levels are going to be high. So this is why, for example, simply taking ashwagandha is not solving the problem because we need to figure out what is causing the inflammation. Obesity also causes high cortisol too. This is because inactive cortisone is being reactivated into active cortisol in fat tissues. And if you have a lot of fat on your body, then this is going to further upregulate this pathway. Again, another great example of why it's really important to look at root causes and just not look at the adrenal glands. Now, sometimes I see women come to me and they will tell me that they know what their cortisol levels are, but I'm actually going to complicate the situation a little bit further to tell you that we measure free cortisol and metabolites. We measure metabolized cortisol and total cortisol. So metabolized cortisol reflects the total cortisol production for the day. So what that means is how much cortisol is made in the body and processed out through the liver and kidneys and into the urine. This marker is telling us if you can make cortisol. Metabolized cortisol represents about 80% of your total cortisol production. And, you know, if you think of it like a bucket of cortisol, a person has at the end of the day. So metabolized cortisol is essentially how much cortisol is being broken down. These metabolites don't really have a significant effect on the body, but they give us clues into cortisol production and what is going on beneath the surface. Now, total cortisol reflects the total amount of unbound biologically active cortisol that's available for the day. And free cortisol accounts for less than 5% of cortisol in circulation. So here is where things get a little confusing because in most of the women I test, it is not actually an adrenal problem. It is a difficulty or should I say discrepancy between total cortisol and metabolized cortisol. So for example, if you have low metabolized cortisol and high free cortisol, the issue has nothing to do with your adrenal glands at all. It's actually that the body is making too much cortisol. It's not that your body is making too much cortisol. It's that your body is having a hard time clearing it. So if we focus on giving you ashwagandha and holy basil and all the things for adrenals, even you know something like cortisol manager, it's not actually solving the problem. Now, the reason you might have a clearance issue is where we need to go in. Is it a thyroid issue? Is it because of liver dysfunction? Is it a brain communication problem? Are you high-dosing licorice root? Do you have inflammation or do you have anorexia? All of these things are reasons why you might have problems clearing cortisol out of the system. And so the strategies that we use are going to be very different 
than strategies we're using where you have overall high or overall low cortisol. Now, the opposite is also something that I see where we see high metabolized cortisol and low free cortisol. Again, it's not an adrenal problem. The body is choosing not to keep around active cortisol. And so this is typically due to obesity, insulin resistance, long-term stress, glucocorticoid use, like we just talked about, and hormone imbalance. And so the approach for this is going to be very, very different. So as you can see, the term adrenal fatigue really oversimplifies what is happening with your adrenals when it comes to chronic stress. And the biggest mistake that a lot of people and practitioners make is to focus solely on the adrenals. First of all, it's part of a wider system, the HPA access. And second of all, we really need to make sure to look at the sources of stress and dysregulation of cortisol in the first place. We need to understand what the cortisol pattern is across the day. We need to understand what total and metabolized cortisol are And then we need to understand why cortisol is imbalanced. If you have high or low cortisol, it's really important to look at chronic sources of stress that are external to the body, yes, but also sources of stress that are internal to the body. And I'm going to give you myself as an example. When I ran my first Dutch test, I actually found that I had very terrible cortisol production. Both my metabolized and free cortisol levels were low, so it was fair to say that overall, my body just simply wasn't producing cortisol. I took adrenal glandulars for a very long time, and this is clinically supposed to be very, very supportive for the condition of quote-unquote adrenal fatigue that I actually had. However, despite using these supplements, I did not feel any better. In fact, I started to get worse. Why? Because my adrenals were responding to a deeper issue. I had mold exposure. I had copper toxicity, which was causing major issues on my adrenals and sort of burning through them. And I also had a fat absorption issue. I'd run a test that looked at fatty acid levels in my body, and I was extremely deficient. And so I needed to look at those things in addition to a few other things in order to really address why my adrenals were having issues making cortisol. And this is why it is so important to continually ask the question, what is at the root? What is at the root of the adrenal issues? What is at the root of what's actually causing the problem? Because if you don't, then you're going to become discouraged, much like I did when the supplements that are supposed to work don't actually work for you. So if you are working with a practitioner who can't see beyond adrenals and you're not feeling better, then I invite you to find a practitioner like myself who does. You are welcome to join us in my free group, Healing Anxiety Holistically for Women, where I offer lots of workshops and Facebook Lives and support to really help you understand what can be next. You can also schedule an anxiety breakthrough call with me. Now, this is where we talk about where you've been on your journey, what your symptoms are, what you've tried, what's worked, what hasn't worked. And then we talk about what next steps in healing might look like for you. This is a free call. And if you're interested in scheduling it, you can reach me at jody at healingjourneyservices.com. J-O-D-I-E at healing, 
journeyservices.com. Now, I do want to leave you with some general strategies to deal with adrenal issues. So first of all, diet is very important. So making sure that you are consuming a low inflammatory diet would be a great place to start. You also want to make sure that your blood sugar is on point, making sure that if you have high blood sugar or insulin resistance or symptoms that indicate such, that you're eating regular meals across your day and snacks as well to help you balance blood sugar. Because if you have a cortisol problem, then you are not going to be able to balance blood sugar internally. Looking at underlying infections are also going to be important, such as running a GI map or a viral panel. Making sure that you're eating fat and absorbing fat is also going to be important. Proper sleep hygiene is important as well. And making sure that you're only exercising to the level that your body can support and you don't exercise within four hours of bedtime which for some can be difficult. I also want to give you the recipe for adrenal cocktail. If you'd like to make it fresh, you can use fresh orange juice, not the stuff you buy from the store, but you want to make this in your juicer, or carrot celery juice with a quarter to half a teaspoon of cream of tartar or potassium citrate, and a quarter to half a teaspoon of Himalayan pink salt or Celtic sea salt. If you drink this in the morning when your energy is low or in mid-afternoon when your energy dips, this is a much better solution to actually support your adrenals than some of the caffeine-type solutions you might have already tried. So, hopefully this podcast gave you a very deep perspective on adrenal fatigue and the connection between adrenal fatigue, deeper root causes, and your anxiety. I thank you so much for joining me on this one. Bye for now. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Holistic Anxiety Fix Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts so others like you can learn how to heal naturally from anxiety. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.